Welcome to a bonus episode of the Oregon Transition Podcast. If you have never tuned into a bonus episode, it's like waking up to snow-covered hills, snow-covered mountains, and a driveway that has been completely shoveled by your neighbor. Our main episode had to do with transition myths. And Mandy, you interviewed two individuals from Wynn that debunked the myth regarding social security income. Remind me, Voice of Pod, what was that myth? Myth. I can't, I can't work. work. If, if I do, I will lose my SSI. SSI. Or, I can't work more hours. If, if I do, I will lose my SSI. Yes, Josh, I was able to interview Katie and Josh, who are on the Work Incentive Network or WIN Network that deal with benefits planning. And their interview was so chocked full of all this incredible information that we decided to release it as a bonus episode. So without further ado, here's our interview with the Worked Incentives Network. My name is Josh Goller. I'm uh, one of the two WIND program managers. I'm Katie Mijares-Thompson. I have been one of the program managers for the Work Incentive Network. One of the questions I hear all the time, and i just love to get both of your thoughts on it, is can you work and still get SSI benefits? So SSI, you can actually work quite a bit. You can work full time and still remain eligible for SSI. But as far as what the payment is, usually folks wonder about, can I work at all and not have it affect my payment? With SSI, they will adjust down the payment when you begin working, but they do it in a way that you're always going to be financially better off at the end of the month by combining your paycheck with your your adjusted SSI. And so specifically, the way they do it is they count a little bit less than half what someone earns when they're adjusting down that SSI payment. It's a little less than half because if someone is SSI only, the first $85 they make SSI just doesn't count that. They exclude it and then they count half of the rest. So that's why it's a little less than half. So one example would be if someone makes $1,085 a month from a part-time job, the math works out that 500 of that is countable. And so SSI would go down by $500. That seems like a bad thing. I'm losing money, but you have to combine the 1,085 you just earned with what would roughly be about $300 in SSI on top of that. So you're going to have $1,400 at the end of the month instead of just your SSI payment alone. So you're Uh, actually making more money. You're always going to end up with more money in your pocket by working than by not working. It's just coming coming from two sources now, a little less SSI, but a, a paycheck. And the two together is going to be much better off. I'm assuming it always behooves us to be honest. No, very important to report wages correctly um, because not doing so. A lot of times folks just maybe don't know they have to report wages or, they, uh, or they're scared to because they worry, well, I'm going to lose my benefits. I'm going to lose my Medicaid, which is, is tied to SSI in some situations. And so folks don't report wages. That, that causes overpayment situations because eventually Social Security is going to figure out what's going on. They have access to IRS records and things. And then they'll assess an overpayment and then people have to pay that back. And that's something we want folks to avoid by just reporting accurately and timely their wages. Um, Emphasize what Josh was just saying about reporting wages. So again, reporting accurately, um, not only because it's just the right thing to do, but like Josh said, um, Social Security does have access to IRS data. However, I do want to make sure that that doesn't get confused with some things. A lot of folks on SSI or Social Security benefits in general 
think that they don't have to report because Social Security sees their earnings eventually, but that's not true because Social Security um, doesn't see monthly earnings. They only see it like a year or so later. So what can happen is if someone's waiting for Social Security to get information from IRS, then they could end up with an overpayment. So really reporting monthly is going to be the responsibility of the beneficiary or someone designated on their support team, like a representative payee as well, because that's a really common misconception is that, oh, my employer is reporting or, oh, Social Security knows because I pay taxes. And that's not that's not really true. And how do you report? There are multiple ways to report. A lot of SSI uh, beneficiaries who only have SSI really like SSA's mobile wage reporting app. So it's an app you can download on your smartphone. You just enter in your earnings and you save it and you just do that every month. The app itself looks a little clunky, but it's not hard to learn. Perhaps some people might need help setting it up the first time, but once they get it set up, a lot of folks really prefer that method. There's also an automated wage reporting line. Again, for someone who only has SSI, but there's also online through MySSA. So the MySSA account on Social Security's website, folks can set up an account there and report their wages online through that online portal. So there's a lot of different ways of doing it. Um, a lot of very modern, more modern tech savvy ways to report earnings that take less time than calling the office or pre or post COVID worlds, you know, taking a ticket. Now, are the rules different for if someone's under 18? So when it comes to if someone's under 18 and working, the rules are pretty much the same as far as how that work would impact their benefits. It's the same calculation and and everything like that. There is, however, a work incentive folks can take advantage of in that situation if they are also a full-time student which would include a YTP program, community college, things like that, or, or high school. That's called the student earned income exclusion. And in most cases, if someone's working part-time, they'll, SSI will just exclude their entire income in a lot of situations. They can exclude for 2022, the figures over $2,000 per month in wages that can be excluded. So someone could earn up to that amount and still get their full SSI payment. They have to be under the age of 22 and they have to be a full-time student. Those are the two caveats there. As long as those two things apply, that person then can can work and not have reduction at all in their SSI benefit. The exclusion exactly is $2,040 per month. That's the limit for, for 2022. There is an annual limit on that, so they can't do $2,040 a month every single month of the year. Once they hit $8,230 of income for the year that's been excluded, then that's that's kind of the limit, and then the rest of it will be counted like SSI normally counts wages. But that's a really great incentive. So basically, just want to make sure that Social Security knows that this person's a student, regularly attending student, and they'll be able to take advantage of this student earned income exclusion, or SEIE. The only other big difference is just that there is an age 18 redetermination. So the eligibility criteria is different for someone who's under 18 versus an adult. Typically, someone who's under the age of 18, they look at functional impairments compared to their peers, whereas that's not a component of somebody who's an adult receiving SSI. As someone who's an adult, they're just looking at, do you have a medical disability based on our definition? Are you able to perform what's considered a substantial gainful activity is the term they use for it? 
And if it, if yes, they have a disability and no, they can't perform that level of work as an adult, that gets you the benefit. As a child, they look at, do you have these functional impairments as well? Because a lot of children, of course, aren't working because they're children. So it's a little higher bar to cross as a child. And so when they do that age 18 redetermination, most folks are just going to be approved as an adult as well. But there is a formal process that happens at age 18. The age 18 redetermination process is a super stressful time for a lot of families. So it's it's a really critical moment for support team to, to be there for these beneficiaries and their families. The future is uncertain. And while uh, some people who received SSI as a minor may be approved and make it through the age 18 redetermination process successfully, uh, not everyone does. It's super important for schools, for VR, for DHS, for families, for neighbors, for the community to have supports in place for folks who do make it through that process and maybe for folks who won't. Just kind of creating some general awareness around that, you know, advocating for supports to improve services in our community in general for for folks with disabilities. If you don't get approved for it, can you reapply? If someone goes through the age 18 redetermination process or any sort of process with social security, and there's a denial or an unfavorable outcome, they do have the right to appeal that decision. However, there is a time limit in which most of these decisions can be appealed. For example, an age 18 redetermination process, there's a time limit that someone has to file an appeal in, also creating awareness and folks and families understanding that deadlines do need to be met. And if that deadline isn't met, Typically, Social Security will not be understanding unless there is a good reason that can be established as to why the deadline was missed. Always can appeal a decision. And then what would happen in that appeal process is it would be reviewed by someone else. So it would not be reviewed. The decision that was made would not be reviewed by another party. So it wouldn't be reviewed by the same person who made the original decision. So fresh set of eyes would be beyond all the data to make it a new determination. Um, and if that one's unfavorable, you can appeal again and ask for a hearing and go in front of a judge. So there's a, there's a step-by-step process that you can climb up the chain, so to speak. That sounds stressful. It can be. Um, but, you know, that's part of the reason why, you know, the Work Incentive Network, you know, we don't help with appeals, but we do educate about folks' rights and can direct them to the correct forms. Centers for Independent Living throughout the state are very well versed in folks' rights with disabilities and appealing Social Security decisions, DHS decisions, that sort of thing. So um, it can be overwhelming. And there's, of course, tons of paperwork, which everyone on a Social Security benefits is already well aware of. It's It can be a lot, but there are people within the system who can help It's just knowing where to find that help, calling up VR, calling up DHS, talking to your local uh, fact, talking fact Oregon, um, your local center for independent living, and figuring out where the resources are in your area. Just keep calling and asking questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Will my paycheck go down if I work? 
So the paycheck itself won't go down. The SSI check would adjust in most cases. Like Josh was saying, Josh mentioned one important work incentive, the student earned income exclusion. Um, There are some automatic deductions that are applied for everyone, um, but there are lots of additional work incentives. So the answer is gonna really vary based on each individual's situation. But in general, your paycheck won't decrease, but the SSI check would likely decrease. But overall, you'll have more money each month because the SSI check does not decrease dollar per dollar. If Social Security did that, no one would work because it wouldn't be worth it. So the rules exist to where you still make more money and you still keep your Medicaid. That's one critical piece that I think we haven't mentioned yet is there are work incentives to keep Medicaid. So to keep OHP and all the services that OHP opens the door, even if someone works to the point where their SSI check is zero, they can stay on SSI and stay eligible for it. And they keep their Medicaid, even if the check goes all the way to zero because of earnings, because of your paycheck in one month or multiple months, it doesn't matter. You can always come back because there's a work incentive protecting that SSI eligibility and that Medicaid eligibility. Yeah. Folks can actually make up to just to maintain SSI eligibility and their Medicaid eligibility. They can actually earn up to $43,116 a year. So that's obviously full-time work. Someone who's under that amount uh, will still stay eligible for SSI So if they lose the job, then they can access their SSI payments again. And that entire time, they'll have access to Medicaid. If someone does get a job that pays more than that, there's also ways to buy into Medicaid because oftentimes the the SSI benefit itself, the payment, if someone's working full time, that's not a huge concern to lose that. But Medicaid may have so many different services funded through it, uh, or just the fact that it covers health, that it's health insurance and covers medical treatment, which could be very expensive. Sometimes that's what people are most scared of losing. And so even if someone gets a full-time job, makes over that 43000 a year, they can still buy into Medicaid up to about 65000 a year. Um, so really hard to lose your Medicaid by working if you need it uh, and if you want to maintain eligibility. Yeah, we're, we're super lucky here in Oregon because not every state offers a Medicaid buy-in program like that. And, and if they do offer it, we have one of the highest income limits for the Medicaid buy-in program, like Josh was saying, um, it's like over 60 grand a year um, is that limit for Medicaid. So someone whose main concern is Medicaid and retaining Medicaid and the services that they receive through Medicaid, for example, services through um, ODDS, um, Developmental Disability Services, Right, that's a Medicaid-funded service. And so everyone who receives services through ODDS has Medicaid, right? And so continuing to receive those services is pretty critical for, for many, many folks, right? And so retaining Medicaid eligibility, we're just fortunate that we have a lot of ways that we can do that here in Oregon. What are the common questions that you hear, or do you have them? Well, one thing I would add right now is just, um, it's not really a myth itself, but it's a cause of misinformation is that we're talking about SSI right now, but a lot of folks receive a different benefit um, called SSDI or um, 
for younger younger folks, when they turn 18, they may receive a benefit through a parent's work record called a childhood disability benefit. And uh, even though it's called childhood disability benefit, it's meant for adult children. Of, and so um, when, when someone's 18, they can access this other type of benefit, which has totally different rules than what we were just explaining. So that's where a lot of misinformation happens is when people just say, oh, I have social security or, oh, I have SSI, but really they have a different benefit. They're talking about two different things. And so if someone's in doubt about that, um, it's always good to talk to someone and know a benefits planner um, or social security directly uh, to, to clarify anything like that and not just take the word of a friend who's also on a benefit because they may not have the same benefit and they're comparing apples and oranges in that situation. That's one big cause of misinformation and worth mentioning just that uh, just that piece. And, and if someone does have that childhood disability benefit, again, very, very different um, rules. And to make it more complicated, sometimes people have more than one type of disability benefit. So they can have SSI and a Title II benefit, like Josh is saying, the CDB. So not only would someone maybe have to know these rules for SSI, but also for another system. So it can get pretty complex and that's why you have benefits planners. (laughs) (laughs) And so benefit planners, win team, um, who else, what other benefit planners are out there? There's the WIPA program. They are housed at Disability Rights Oregon and they're called Plan for Work. They're Social Security's funded benefits planners. And there's also the Ticket to Work Helpline. That's actually how you make a referral to the plan for work folks now. What advice do you have in general for people that have questions? What does the ideal picture look like? With that, it's certainly something where if anyone has any anxiety around benefits and working or any anxiety around getting a job and thinking it's going to mess with something with their benefits, to talk to someone, uh, to talk to a benefits planner or get an get information directly from social security if possible, just to understand how that's, how that's oftentimes the, the anxiety around that is, is not necessary because they're not going to lose what they think they're going to lose. Um, or they're, you, you know, the cash benefit going down seems like a negative, but when you realize, well, you, when you compare it with your paycheck, you're better off. Usually the conversations we're having are positive ones because uh, folks think things are stricter, the rules are stricter, or they're going to lose things they're not going to lose than the reality actually is. So anytime anyone has that anxiety, I would encourage them to call the WIN help desk or email us at a WIN refer email, which I can provide that information. The WIN help desk is 800-661-2571. And WIN refer email is WIN, W-I-N, dot refer r-e-f-e-r at state dot o-r dot u-s and those are just general lines that we'll respond to and and provide that information and sometimes it's just that small conversation that can really alleviate a lot of concern and then you can proceed with looking for a job or getting into an employment plan and then maybe coming back for benefits planning when you have a specific job in mind for folks who aren't that concerned about they're not anxious about it they just want to get the job and then they'll figure it out then that's fine too. contact us once you have the job and we can provide very specific analysis of okay this is what this job is going to do to your benefits here's exactly what you can expect or you very closely to what you can expect i, I agree with josh it, you know we don't talk about this a ton with students because it's kind of very long vision working now 
working when you're younger, someone on SSI can get retirement through social security. Someone on SSI, when they retire, can, can take retirement out of social security, right? They could potentially retire. That's important too, even though that feels really, 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 really far off working, you know, when you're younger will help secure your future as well, as well as give you the money you need for your day-to-day life. I do have one more question. So do you have to be in VR? Do you have to be in YTP to access WIN? Good question. No, you don't. No, no, no. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to be connected with uh, VR, with YTP. Our only eligibility criteria is that person we work with or the people we work with need to identify as having a disability and need to receive some sort of federal or public benefit. There's no age limit there and they have to live in Oregon. So we only serve Oregonians. There's no age limit. Um, folks don't even have to be on social security benefits. Actually, we could just be advising them about Medicaid. Perhaps someone is just on EPD. Maybe they worked off everything and they just want to connect about EPD income limits for the upcoming year. Our, our eligibility criteria is, is pretty open, which is really nice. And we don't require proof of disability. So it's, it's on our system. What about savings and what about banking and what about anything like that? So with SSI, there is also a resource limit that folks should consider. Um, and so w- while we're saying you can earn a lot of money, uh, and not have it affect benefits. SSI still doesn't allow you to have a whole lot of money in countable resources, which is considered, which is an asset, which would be money in your bank account that wasn't earned in this particular month. You know, just money that's sitting in your bank account. SSI only allows an individual to have two thousand dollars in resources, in countable resources, and that used to be very strict as far as what can you, what else can I do to have more money than that? There wasn't a whole lot of options, but the last few years, there is now ABLE accounts that folks can set up. Some people may have heard of ABLE before, but ABLE allows people to save money in a special account that will not count towards that $2,000 resource limit. Folks can put in up to $15,000 a year for a total of up to $100,000 over their lifetime and still have all that money excluded from that $2,000 resource limit. So that's a really great way for people to save for their futures now that wasn't available even just five or six years ago. And so I would encourage anyone who wants to work and then put money aside for the future to look into ABLE accounts if, if you are able to, able to have that extra money. Uh, it, it's a great way to, to save for the future. And how do I, how do you find out about ABLE accounts? That's a whole other conversation in, in some ways, it, but OregonAbleSavings.com is, I believe, the, the email or the uh, URL that you'd want to go to for that. And there is, you can pretty much set it up online. You don't need to provide a lot of medical documentation or anything like that. It's something that can be done in about 10 minutes and it is OregonAbleSavings.com. You set up set it up as a bank account and you can withdraw money from it as you would from bank accounts. So it's a lot easier than there. There is one other type of account called a special needs trust that people used to use to get around this $2,000 resource limit. That's a lot more restrictive. It's harder to get your money out and spend it on data to any kind of day-to-day expense. And it also it costs a lot of money to set up. ABLE is 
very low cost. They're small. There's a small annual fee and uh, a few other small, very, very small fees. So it's, it's very affordable as well as being more, more practical. But if anyone has money that they need to, to set aside those, they would want to talk to a benefits planner about whether able or a special needs trust makes more sense. And sometimes the two can work well together because like Josh was mentioning, um, there is a $15,000 cap for contribution to the ABLE account. Um, You can actually, if you're working, you can actually contribute more than that. You know, you can contribute up to a a little over 12,000 more uh, through ABLE to work. So um, depending on someone's situation, they could contribute more than than $15,000 in a calendar year. For someone who perhaps, let's just say, is going to receive an inheritance, $30,000, perhaps that would be a conversation where we would say ABLE and a special needs trust could work together. There wouldn't need to be a spend down. If someone needed to spend that money on some important things, then that's great. But if they want to save it, you know, perhaps a special needs trust and an ABLE account could be a really great way of protecting those resources, keeping those resources, but also staying um, within the guidelines of, of SSI and the Medicaid resource limit, which again, like Josh said, is, is $2,000. The only other thing to add about resources, I think, is that also folks sometimes wonder, is, does my car count uh, as a resource? Because uh, possessions can often count depending on what they are. One one vehicle is is excluded from the resource limit as long as the person uses that to, to get around, basically to get to doctor's appointments or to get to work. They don't have to drive it themselves. It could just be someone else drives them. But one vehicle, if they have a second vehicle, then the value of that counts towards the resource limit. And that can be even something like you have a car and a moped. Those are two vehicles. So you have to keep that sort of thing in mind, not just two cars. And then also if someone happens to own a home, if they, they're able to live in that home and have that be excluded from a resource as well. So just wanted to th- throw those two things in there because those are some pretty big assets for folks that um, will be just automatically excluded by SSA. Wow, that was a lot of information. It sure was. And I would say if you have any questions, reach out to the WIN, the Work Incentive Network hotline. They're able to answer any questions or find a member of the TTAN and we'll be able to point you in the right direction. Thanks for listening to our bonus episode. Peace out, pod people. And be well.